Hey, it's Jay, and it's time for another one-shot. One-shots are my series of monologues, short-form episodes, where I kind of break from the usual production style of this show, because in between the heavier lift episodes, I'm always noticing things, gathering anecdotes, remembering stuff, and it's always from my perspective. So whereas the other episodes are mostly from others' perspectives and we're learning from them, on these episodes, I like to speak directly to you in short form about the same journey that we're on in all of our episodes, which is this idea called the next rep. If we're trying to build big, thriving bodies of work, if we really want to make what matters to us and our communities in our careers, well, that's all built on this little tiny motion called the rep the repetition of our creative process. So how do we get to the next rep consistently, faster, and better? That's what we've been exploring on this show and, of course, in one-shots. So let's get into a new one. The three phases of a storytelling career. There are but two tiny things I wish I could magically implant in the brains of everybody who wants to create stories for a living, or honestly, just for fun. Tiny thing number one. This is all about practice. If you're listening to this show, that's no surprise to hear me say. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Creativity is just repetition plus reinvention over time. Do that thing, do it again, do it slightly better or different than last time. As for time, you know time, right? It's the thing that none of us want to admit that our work still needs, the thing that separates us from those we admire even though we prefer to believe that the thing that separates us from our heroes is really some kind of magical hack or cheat or secret. But no, it's time. They've done this for longer. That's tiny thing number one. Creating great stories requires lots and lots of practice. Here's tiny thing number two. The carbon element of a story is tension. No tension, no story. Just as you can't have life without carbon, you can't really have a story without tension. A story is a vehicle for resolving tension. Nothing is happening, but then a thing disrupts that until finally it's resolved. This is why creative work is so very much about inspiring positive change in the world, not just ranking number one on Google or selling a bunch of crap. Stories are vehicles for solving problems because stories literally solve problems. A story is a communication technique wherein the way you communicate frames things as the path towards relieving tension. Without tension, you aren't telling a story. You're just stating some facts or describing some stuff. Okay, now fair warning, I'm about to use the word storytelling a whole lot. And I know that many in the marketing world, in the media world, many of us content creators, We feel that the word storytelling has turned into a bit of a buzzword, which I think is kind of ridiculous because it's kind of like chefs turning cooking into a buzzword. That should be impossible. Cooking is like their job. Well, storytelling is your job, my job. It's just that the industry around us has mostly lost sight of what a story actually is. As storytellers, deep breath, it gets easier the more you hear that. As storytellers, our calling card is our mastery of the use of tension, and that mastery spans three distinct phases, I think, in a given career. Want to become a better storyteller? Push yourself to the next phase. Phase number one is no tension. Early on in a career, when we create things, I think we tend to shy away from or even just omit tension altogether. And this means that our work looks and feels mainly like advice or opinions or flat descriptions. 
you know, coming out of the marketing world like I did, you write lots and lots of list articles and you curate a lot of things that others have created. We publish how-to posts, tips and tricks articles, and craft case studies instead of actual stories. And why aren't there stories in those case studies? Because there's actually no tension. You already know what's going to happen. As a result, our work doesn't really grip the audience, certainly not in the way that an incredible story does. Without tension, there's no story arc, and so our work feels flat. The audience isn't given any good reason to stick around. We aren't providing enough open loops that demand closure, no questions that demand answers, no intrigue to be paid off later. My college thesis was a phase one project, at least for a time. I majored in English literature, but I wanted to be a sports journalist. And so as a result, I wrote my thesis on the use of baseball as a subject and a trope throughout 20th century American literature. I spent weeks toiling away in phase one, not really writing any story because I really didn't have tension. I was just writing descriptions and reporting on my research. But then my mentor sat me down and he told me to use the very thing that I love to use as a sports writer, story. Now, he said story. I now understand what he really meant. Tension. You have a good sense for drama, he told me. Use that in how you write your thesis. Honestly, that's influenced everything I've written since. Just a couple paragraphs above this line I'm speaking to you right now here in my script, you might recall a small moment of tension. I said, I spent weeks toiling away in phase one. Until my mentor sat me down and told me all this stuff, right? That's that little hinge, that little uncertainty, that little moment of tension. Storytelling is like making a craft cocktail. The ingredients that you understand bring out the true flavors as the bartender, as the mixologist, if you will. Those ingredients aren't necessarily the ones that the consumer even understands are there, or as with many craft cocktails, how to even pronounce them. Maybe that's just unique to drinking. Anyways, those ingredients are why you serve something so damn delicious. Your stories need a twist of tension, if not a couple ounces of the stuff. You've heard of happy hour? Well, with our work, it's tension time. Sorry, what's that? Oh, I I went one line too far with that metaphor? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Hi, I'm Jay. I I thought we've met. So a phase one story sounds like this. The itsy-bitsy spider went up the water spout. Or how about, everyone knows the key to successful storytelling is tension, so today we'll list six ways you can use tension in your storytelling. They're flat. There's no tension. Now phase two is where tension becomes central. So phase two is central tension. And I call this phase central tension because tension is literally in the center of the story. If you were to plot out the story arc, it's usually right in the middle. It's what makes the story arc, well, arc. Phase two storytelling follows this simple three-act structure, status quo, tension, resolution. In a career, we enter this phase when we finally realize, oh, right, we need tension to create a story. Maybe you grow disillusioned with all the usual flat content, as I did, So for example, when I worked for HubSpot, the big software company that sells marketing tools, we were basically tips and tricks are us. And the startup where I worked prior to that was no better than HubSpot. That was what I would call listicle shack. And like another famous shack, they too started limping along, barely alive as a business. Status quo, tension, resolution. 
The tension is in the middle. It's central to our stories. We're phase two storytellers. Now, sometimes these are wonderful, but sometimes they're what the author and researcher Brene Brown calls gold-plated grit. That sounds like this. We wanted to do a thing by launching this business, and then this one moment was really hard, but now it's amazing, and everything is amazing. Let me talk about all the amazingness. That one moment of tension makes it a story, but it's kind of gold-plated grit. It doesn't really speak to all the tension, the conflict, the drama, the questions, the uncertainty, the difficulty that, in this story, an entrepreneur went through to do something that they now think is amazing. So phase two is still more gripping than phase one, but we're a far cry from capturing something that approximates the truth, whether intentionally, because we're saying we're amazing, or not. Now, really quickly, a phase two story sounds like this. The itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain and the itsy bitsy spider did that damn thing. You know that story, right? The tension is in the middle. The rain came down and the spider got washed out. Status quo, he was going up. Tension, the rain and getting washed down. And resolution, out came the sun and he did the damn thing. Here's another example of a phase two story. Everyone knows the key to successful storytelling is tension, but rarely, if ever, do we execute on it. Instead, we share flat descriptions, boring sequences of events, and we fail to intrigue or to grip people. It's time we learned how to use tension as the storytelling tool it is. Today, we'll list six ways that you can use tension in your writing. That's a much better story than the phase one version of that description. But again, we can level up to phase three. And phase three is what I call messing with tension. Phase three is less of a state of being than it is a place that we love to visit. And we wish we visited more often, like our favorite spot along a dirt path in the woods as we take our morning walk or that corner booth in our favorite bar. When we enter that phase three place or mode, we feel inspired or emboldened enough to mess with the nice, clean, three-part story structure of phase two stories. So sure, there may be one central tension inherent to the story, but then we use a lot of smaller and or just more instances of tension, so the story has a much more fluid, wavy feel than a single arc. It's much more dynamic. The audience and us as storytellers can sense a continual rise and fall of intrigue with varying peaks and valleys, all of which makes the story feel more like it's, it's kind of breathing. In and out, up and down, intrigue and payoff, question and answer, this part, but then that part. As phase three storytellers, we acquire some gear and some tools that help us venture into those desirable and inspired places in our journeys. We use cold opens and open loops, tangents, asides, and quick little metaphors and anecdotes to illustrate larger points. We introduce secondary subjects, the B story, the C story. We march our central characters, fictional or real, towards uncertainty in the micro moments of their lives, even while trying to get them all the way to the macro or grander tension of the story. When you mess with tension, your stories aren't so black and white as they were in phase two. Instead, they more closely reflect the truth. We'll never actually capture reality moment to moment because the creative work is always in some ways derivative of life, at least from the factual documentary-like standpoint. I'd argue that the creative work can enhance the truth from an emotional standpoint. 
And yet, despite all that, even though we aren't exactly capturing reality with our phase three stories, our ability to admit and to bring forth the messiness of reality, that few, if any things, are clean like a three-act story, that all allows us to resonate more deeply with others, because it feels truer, deeper. It feels more like life and their experience of it. Everything we do is in some ways reductionist, but that's okay, so long as we remember to dance in the gray areas. That dance is the process of messing with tension. Now, my favorite example of phase three storytelling is from, and get out your Jay Akunzo bingo card and cover up the free space in the middle, because yes, I'm once again about to mention him, Anthony Bourdain. On his travel show, Bourdain would visit a place, lead you down one path, and you'd go, oh, I get it. In Mexico, life is like this. Then they'd cut to another scene where, wait a second, That's the exact opposite of what we just saw. Oh, you might think. So life here is like the first thing for some people, and then it's like this second thing for others. It's the classic haves and have-nots. I totally get it now. But then they'd cut to yet another scene where, hold on, now the have-nots are acting awfully happy and starting to make socioeconomic progress. But that means hold on, we're entering a brand new scene after scene three. I didn't even make sense of scene three to begin with. We're on to scene four with a new subject and some new variables. New questions emerge and far more questions than nice, neat answers at that. The tension rises and falls, but only in some spots, never really resolving itself in other spots because that's how life works. And there's never going to be total clarity on everything. And then, finally, to end an episode, you might hear a big question spoken by a subject that Bourdain interviewed, which is never actually answered. And instead, it just kind of lingers there, in a way that, at the same time, is unsatisfying and deeply moving. That's a phase three story. Questions beget questions. Uncertainty leads to some kind of, sort of, maybe a little certainty, which then plummets into even more uncertainty. As one of Bourdain's tattoos famously said, I am certain of nothing. I think we should all feel that way if we're going to be phase three storytellers, which again is just something we visit once in a while and our goal is to maybe visit it more. We so often try to wrap things up with a nice neat bow as we hand our work to the world, but that pithy lesson or insight or conclusion, that resolution to one form of tension, shouldn't ignore the fact that rampant questions and plenty of tension still exists in this story. To explore anything through the creative process is to arrive at some answers, but also far more questions than you even knew to ask at the beginning. As a result, phase three storytellers take that nice, neat, pithy insight or that final wrap-up, and they gleefully place it into a box labeled contradictions. Then they shake that box. That's life. And if we're trying to capture it, however distantly, then we better admit that. Do I contradict myself? Walt Whitman once mused. Very well. Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. That's reality. That's a phase three story. As for what other phase three stories might sound like, that's up to you. I simply can't say with certainty. I can say with certainty that I'm trying to tell more of those phase three stories right here on Unthinkable. I'm trying to tell more every Friday in my newsletter. But it's hard. It's elusive. As storytellers, we can't evolve without making more of a mess. Because the mess is where we practice and where we get closer to reality. Specifically, 
we can mess with tension. We can introduce lots of moments of intrigue, lots of questions, lots of uncertainty, some big, but most of them as small as the very word between big and most in this very sentence. I'll say it again. Some big, but most of them small. That's a moment of tension right there. That word, but. As for the pithy insight, the nice neat bow that I'm supposed to place on top of this episode that I'm giving you right now, well, maybe I should just skip it. Thanks so much for listening. I would love to know what you think of our one shots. I'm continuing to ask for feedback. This might be the last time I do. I think I'm feeling pretty good. I think we're going to continue these, but just let me know what you think. Email me j at unthinkablemedia.com or shoot me a tweet. I'm at jayakunzo. Every episode of Unthinkable is made possible by Make What Matters, my community group for ambitious creators. We are all independent content creators in that group, sometimes because that's our job to be independent. Other times we have in-house marketers and makers who have an independent spirit. Regardless, we're all banding together to help each other elevate our creative work, earn more resources and income, and execute our most ambitious projects yet. I do things like rants about big concepts that are found nowhere else and micro courses about techniques and making sense of the harder stuff, the foundational stuff, the stuff that you can't just Google. I I love the micro courses, by the way. They're really short, like five to seven minute courses that give you a heuristic or a tool at the very end of them. Really fun for me to do. We also do monthly meetups and live sessions and other community experiments together. If you're not ready for a full-blown membership, no worries. I also have a supporter tier, which you can subscribe to for $13 a month and get a little bit of the content from the group sent to you each month. And both the $13 a month or your membership fees, if you subscribe to the whole thing, go back to supporting this show and my creative projects. Don't wait to make what matters most in your career to you or to your community. Start right now. And if you need that communal spirit, that energy, that push, we're here. Visit makewhatmattersgroup.com to learn more. And by the way, you can get a discount if you sign up for a membership using the code UNTHINKABLE. As always, I'm Jay Akunzo. And as always, I'd remind you, if you truly want to make what matters, the most important thing is your next rep. So here's to you getting to that faster, better, or at very least consistently, because that's what it takes. Now, if you excuse me, I have yet another rep to put in for this show so I can create a new episode for you and be back real soon. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.